Hello, I'm Jim, and this is On The Left Side, the funny football show. Officers from the Derbyshire Constabulary were called following reports of a man acting suspiciously that the individual concerned is an employee of the footballing staff at Leeds United Football Club. If there's one thing this season isn't lacking, it is drama. As if the Shakespearean tragedy of the relegation battle or the big screen romance of the free-flowing football title race wasn't enough, and Leeds United have decided to throw in a taste of spy novel into the mix. That's if said spy novel had the Chuckle Brothers as the central characters. To me, you. The pre-match methods of the Yorkshire club have been called into question after a man was caught by police acting suspiciously outside of Derby County's training ground this week ahead of Leeds game against the Rams. The man in question has been confirmed as an employee of Leeds United and was reported to be found carrying binoculars, some pliers and a change of clothes. So the guy is either spying on Derby County's training methods or he's just still really hung up about that penalty that manager Frank Lampard missed against Portugal back in 2006. You were supposed to be the golden generation, Frank! Oh. The golden generation! Ah. We could have gone all the way! Oh. For God's sake, I bought the home and the way shirts! Ah. For me, the most outrageous thing about this whole story wasn't the fact that Leeds were spying on their opposition. It was that the man caught who works for Leeds, a club sponsored by Kappa, was wearing Nike sportswear when he was captured, which is either a damning review of Kappa's goods or a really lame attempt at a disguise. <coughs> Leeds? No, mate. I'm from Brighton. Or who ever else has a Nike kit at the moment. No, I'm not buying it. I have to say, though, as far as spy drama is concerned, Leeds aren't following the script at all. Everyone knows that in these kind of circumstances, you never reveal anything. No matter what the torture method, no matter what the pressure. And yet Leeds manager Marcelo Bielsa was singing like a bird the very moment he stepped in front of the Sky Sports cameras this weekend. Uh, es cierto, es real. It's true there was someone from Leeds United. El responsable de, de que esa persona estuviera soy yo. The, the responsible of this uh, incident is me. I'm the responsible for it. Yo creo que eso es legal o ilegal, correcto o incorrecto. It doesn't matter if this is legal or illegal or right or wrong. You've got to admire the sheer balls of that. He didn't even try and pretend the guy was on a trip to visit beautiful Derby Cathedral or anything like that. I find myself asking what actually is the problem here. If it's cheating, is it any worse than diving in the area to get a penalty? It's not like it pisses all over the club's upstanding reputation of sportsmanship and fair play now, is it? In fact, this is exactly the kind of shithousery that I fully expect from Leeds United. But it's all a bit James Bond. Bielsa is obviously Blofeld, hiding out in his hollowed-out volcano with his evil ways in the centre of Leeds' shopping district, while Frank Lampard is busy trying to foil his plans of footballing dominance in the championship. Hang on. Didn't we do this Frank Lampard is James Bond stuff a couple of years ago when he was doing those Ask Lampard Q&As for New York City? It's from Ash Harrower and it says, have you thought about applying for the James Bond role? It's a nice compliment, I guess, but uh, actually no. Uh, if you see my acting skills, then I'm pretty stiff, so I think I'll stick to the uh, 
doing what I'm doing for the moment. Lampard is, of course, right. It is totally unrealistic that a Premier League footballer could be cast as James Bond. I mean, Ian Fleming's original spy character is a womanising, hard liquor-drinking, fast car-driving, ego-fuelled man often found chucking money around in casinos. I think that is the same as the Premier Oh, never mind. Leeds won the match 2-0, so either it all worked perfectly or it was just a load of hot air and distraction about nothing. Essentially, the story boils down to a man being asked by police to stop walking around outside a club's training ground. And that's it. Although, I'm not sure this is quite the end of the story yet. I have no doubt that the police will be following up with a number of leads. That's leads, spelt with a double E. Yeah, probably works better written down, that joke. A team that no doubt could have benefited from a little bit of professional espionage in the week was Burton Albion, who came up against Manchester City, a team that were fresh off from beating Rotherham 7-0 in the FA Cup. If they were hoping to avoid a similar fate, those hopes and dreams were dashed quicker than those of a kid who just got a West Ham shirt for Christmas with Arnautovic on the back as they were spanked 9-0 by the champions. And that was just the first leg. Even before the game kicked off, some people were convinced it was going to be an absolute battering. I can't tell you how many times I heard that old cliche, this could be a cricket score tonight. Could it? Could it really? Could it really be 125 for five? If I went to a game of cricket and it finished 9 for 0 over 5 days, I think I'd be asking for my money back. But maybe that's why I don't go and watch cricket. As it was, according to some journalists, the 9-0 was totally disrespectful. Apparently City should have somehow stopped scoring after 6 goals, which is a new imaginary limit that has been set on victory. I don't know how they'd stop scoring. Shooting off target? Passing the ball around the back four? Doing keepy-uppies in the centre circle? Because I'm sure all of that would be much less disrespectful. The people that matter, however, the Burton Albion team, just seemed in awe of Manchester City. Something that was very apparent in the post-match interview with manager Nigel Clough. Nigel, that was uh, pretty brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, we didn't expect anything less. Uh, we actually feared it could be more. And what did Pep say to you at the full-time whistle? Uh, he said, come in and have a glass of wine. Uh, I hope he's got more than a glass. <laughs> couple of bottles hopefully I would have hoped so yeah he said he's got some nice Spanish wine so we'll, we'll go and join him Manchester City driving the opposition to drink since 2016 Burton Albion was showing exactly the kind of class that Liverpool didn't show after losing against City the other week when the club and their fan base wheeled out a variety of excuses including the grass being too long the lines being too thick and anything else they could think of after defeat at the Etihad Stadium and those excuses continued after their FA Cup loss to Wolves on Monday night, when Jurgen Klopp blamed the wind for their poor performance. Wanted to control the game, which makes sense to keep the ball. That uh, wind didn't help with that. Wind in January? Understandably didn't see that one coming, eh? He's done this before, by the way. When Liverpool lost to Southampton in 2017, he again blamed the wind for his team being a bit shit. In other words, Jurgen Klopp not a fan of winter. There is a certain irony with this particular excuse coming from a Liverpool manager though, isn't there? Maybe it's time we rewrote that famous song. When you walk through a storm Just go back inside Cos you can't 
play football in the wind. Is it me, or are all Premier League managers just a bunch of bloody snowflakes now? Mm-hmm. And it seems that Wolves bring out the very worst in them. Klopp blamed the wind for Liverpool's defeat. Pochettino blamed being a bit tired after Spurs lost at the Molyneux. That's despite winning the four games beforehand and the two games afterwards. And Pep Guardiola blamed the bloody ball after Man City were taken to a penalty shootout by the Midlands team. I'm not entirely sure how Jose Mourinho fared against them, but I imagine it would probably be quicker to name the excuses he didn't make. I blame everybody. What's the next excuse going to be from a top-notch manager? The pre-match fireworks are too noisy. Half-time oranges are too bitter. Penalty spot too far away. Club mascot acting like a complete dick. Hang on. We've had that one already, haven't we? I mean, if you're asking me whether Harry the Horny, who I presume is the mascot, should dive in that way, I think it's disgraceful. Snowflakes. For those outside the top six, however, there are more pressing concerns right now than a bit of wind. The January transfer window. Sure, those in the top half of the table spend the January window wondering who they can bring in to strengthen their team, but the rest of the pack spend the first month of the year fretting as to how they're going to hang on to their best talent, and that certainly is the case for West Ham United right now. The Hammers are currently worrying over a £35 million triple your wages offer for Marko Anatovic from an unnamed Chinese Super League club. Unnamed not because it's a shadowy, secretive deal, unnamed because no one knows how to pronounce any of the Chinese names, so it's just easier to say unnamed. The bid has been rejected by the club, but the player's brother, who's also his agent, has said that the Serb wants to leave, releasing a statement claiming that the player has a great desire that West Ham accept the offer from China, and, as it's his brother, probably adding something about how he eats bogeys and leaves skid marks in his wife fronts too. West Ham have responded with a counter-statement that reads... Well, Marco has a contract and we fully expect him to honour it. He's not for sale. Which sounds remarkably similar to a statement they made concerning Dimitri Payet two years ago. The board's position is that we do not want to sell Dimitri. We do not want to sell Dimitri in the transfer window in January. And we all know what happened there. The simple non-football translation would be... We know that we are going to have to sell the player... But our fans are going to be pissed. So can we have a bit more money, please? Certainly. And out of its reaction at the end of West Ham's win over Arsenal, where he stopped to applaud all four corners of the Olympic Stadium, would suggest that he'll be playing his football in China as quick as you can say. I'll have a number four, some deep-fried pork balls and a temperamental Eastern European striker, please. It's at this kind of time that you need a battle-hardened warhorse as your manager. A man who's been there and a man who's done that. A man who knows exactly what is in store and can predict the unpredictable. A man who makes sensible, calculated decisions. A man like Neil Warnock. It's like climbing a mountain with butter on your hands. That's how I would say it. One day you think you're almost there and then you slide back down. It's, it's, uh, that's about probably the best way of putting it. People say, yes, that's a done deal. And then all of a sudden the next day is not a done deal. It's... it's um, You've got to learn to live with that, really. I think that might be the worst footballing analogy I've ever heard. Why would you even try and put butter on your hands if you're about to climb a mountain? Surely, even if you did have butter on your hands, then you'd probably have gloves on over the top. That would negate the impact of the butter. And even if you didn't, as long as you didn't have butter on your feet too, 
you're probably going to be okay. It does lead me to think that maybe the long, dark, lonely nights in Wales, combined with the stress of managing Cardiff City, could finally be taking their toll on our Neil. And maybe we should be a bit concerned about his mental state at the moment. That said, this is a man who once thought signing Kevin Doyle was the solution to Crystal Palace's goal-scoring problems. So maybe the signs have always been there. That's it. We are done for another week. Thank you very much for coming by. Thanks very much for stopping. If you come back next week, there will be another dose of football funny ready for your ears or we'll come to you next time. Just click subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and we'll deliver the next show as soon as it's ready. Plus, for even more football funny, you can follow us on Twitter at On The Left Side. We shall see you on the Twit side. Is that a thing? I think it's a thing. See you later. Bye. On The Left Side is written and produced by Ant McGinley and Jim Salverson.